0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Splatter Chatter, where October never dies. This is episode 30, the Dirty 30. Mm. That over there is Miss Milmoy. Hello. This over here is Mr. Craigers. We are your hosts. (laughs) And we're back for kind of a sad episode tonight, today. So whenever you're listening, (laughs) this is our our tribute to uh, horror, master of horror, legendary director, George A. Romero, who passed away on July 16th after a very short battle with cancer. And we're going to take a look at um, the legacy that he left behind. Particularly his work in the zombie subgenre and how that has redefined the zombie as we know it in the world today.
1: Yeah, (sighs) Pittsburgh zombies. Mm Mm-hmm. But I still have that hoodie somewhere. As you
0: should. It's a great hoodie. It's very comfortable. It's great hoodie. It's fantastic hoodie. All my friends say it's a it's a really great hoodie. It's a. all your friends give it five star reviews. Wood hoodie again. Wood hoodie again. Yeah, Um, but first, you know, we got to do some horror headlines. Yes. 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 I think the big one to talk about um, (laughs) is what's going on with American Horror Story season seven. Thank you, Comic-Con. Lots of news thanks to Comic-Con, including the title, which is American Horror Story Cult.
1: Which, haven't we done that at different points throughout every single season? Like, I feel like everything has just been different versions of a cult.
0: Well, it's like I said, he shot the load with season two.
1: Yeah, no, I, he did everything. And we talked about he that did when everything. we were watching it. We were like, what are they going to do for season three? Because he literally did everything. And then nothing. when he did Coven, we were like, okay, it was less horror story and more kind of like mean girls meets witchcraft yeah which was fine it had a stupid ending and a resolution but we were expecting that but at this point it's like you're like fishing for horror like any sort of like uh horror you know gimmick plot point you can where it was like you put everything like in the beginning like the beginning of season two i actually really enjoy
0: yeah Um, before the crazy
1: before the crazy before like the mid-season break it was really good but it was like you did everything you did exorcisms you did Asylum. You did zombie creatures in the forest. You did aliens, like
0: a serial killer. A serial did you killer. That? Yeah, um, yeah. You. It, it was. It was too. It was too much.
1: It was like he was afraid he wasn't going to get renewed, so he just kind of like. If only. You know. <laughs> no, because that's when it was like getting. Well, it's always been popular, but I guess it went from cult status to. Mainstream. Mainstream after season two. Yeah. So. Yeah. Tell us what you learned about American Horror Story Cult.
0: Um, I learned that it's going to, the, so the, they did the teaser. And it involves a group of clowns, people in scary clowns, masks and makeup, just sort of chilling. There's some red balloons going on. Um, beep, beep. It was very reminiscent of It, which has been a lot of people's minds lately, obviously, because of the remake coming out on September 8th. So, I, for one, am not surprised that he's, you know, being gimmicky and capitalizing on what's new, what's, you know, hot in pop culture right now without, he's probably not going to actually make a real comment about it. He's just going to use it for his own advantage. He's a wonderful capitalist, Ryan Murphy.
1: Oh, yes. A wonderful, you know... And I feel like artistic capitalism is just the most evil of all capitalisms. Mm.
0: Um, There's something extra gritty about it, extra dirty. But we did say this is the dirty thirty.
1: Yeah. So you yeah. Um My whole headline um, is really
0: nothing. Well, I'm other not than, done. Oh my god. <laughs> god damn it! Will you let me talk? <laughs> let me finish complaining about it. Uh... Yeah, I am. I have lots to say. I was also going to say that I. People called him on his shit because he was saying, Oh, the season's going to be election themed. And I guess people were literally like, What the fuck do clowns have to do with the election? (laughs) And he was like, Well, it takes place during the election. And everyone was like, Okay, bye.
1: I was like, If I wanted that, I'd just watch The Purge
0: election year. Right? He's probably going to rip off that too.
1: Mm.
0: Um, And then also, the other, the final piece of news in regards to AHS, um, Lena Dunham's (laughs) casting. In the new season, why would you do that to her? Why
1: would you sully her in such a way?
0: Sully her? Well, you know I mean, she's sullying her.
1: <laughs> my question is: Is what is her hair going to look like? Mm. We've got Diane's hair. We know she has purple hair in, uh, the Last Jedi. I don't know what I was about to call it. Um, the New Jedi flew through my mind. <laughs>
2: Oh, that's a possible title. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Wait, 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 wait.
0: <laughs> you said Lena Dunham. I was thinking you were Durr, not Laura Durr.
1: I've had a long day. I woke up at like oh. 5 a.m.
0: No, we you should, know what? We should we should have moved on when you told us to move on. This is really all my fault
1: you know what no i remember now lena dunham
0: yes yeah lena dunham not it's Laura. it's the Stern.
1: ld i've been up since like 5 a.m the ld
0: that's what gotcha. that's what's <sighs> in there
1: but no. it, here's the thing was it not oh, prophecy
0: we'll no we won't
1: no we won't no you get to hear
0: this <laughs> i deserve that much
1: um we should have known at some point that it was prophesied that these two imbeciles would be i know
0: it's a weird... I mean, he's got Sarah Paulson back, of course, because... Speaking of people, you know, I mean, who deserve if there's better. A, if there's cult about Ryan Murphy. She's leading the charge. Yeah, um, which just sucks, because I love her. Uh, and and if, if I, I, I think Billy be is in the new season. That's not Laura stuff. Dern, guys. It's not, not, not Laura, Dern.
1: Laura Dern. She's doing better things. Not any better things. So I'm... Like gonna, the, I'm new, gonna... Jedi. <laughs> the new Jedi. That's how so tired I am. I didn't even know what it was called. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man.
1: Okay, let's put American Crime Story <laughs> to <the> rest.
0: <laughs>
1: let's put a pin in that one. certainly <laughs> talking thing. about,
0: you know, Frank Mounts <laughs> showing up in American Crime Story or something.
1: <laughs> which, speaking of American Crime Stories, OJ Simpson got uh, released today.
0: Uh, well, he got parole. He got parole. He'll be released for parole in October. Um, which, you know which apparently a new documentary about him is airing in October.
1: You know, he can watch it from his, or I assume he has cable. Um, is,
0: aren't we done with this story yet? I can't well, we watch were until thing. this happened.
1: Oh. Like, it was fine. It was, he was going to be in jail for 30 years, and then his first parole hearing they gave him early release.
2: I know, it's crazy. And, uh, oh, speaking
0: of... Um, True crime and murder, which we don't, I mean, we've talked about a little bit on the show, but we don't super talk about serial killers a lot. But yesterday, did you see, they identified a previously unidentified uh, victim of John Wayne Gacy. You know, yikes. 16 year old boy, um, who, whose mother had actually gone to Chicago after he went missing and after everything came out about Gacy thinking he might have been one of the victims and yeah. police couldn't help her they didn't have the forensics enough to to determine like you know to do the right tests and stuff or whatever and um and they did now and uh, they figured out who he was and the family has peace and the family has closure and they issued a really nice statement where they talked about how um they never stopped looking for him, and and hoping to to get answers. And that he was he was loved, and he was missed, and he wasn't. You know, sometimes when they talk about victims, and specifically victims of Gacy, that they were sort of these transients, that they they sort of put themselves in dangerous situations, that they asked for it. They were like, no, he was he was missed. And I thought that was really nice.
1: Speaking also of serial killers. Um, one was apprehended not far from me.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah. Um,
1: Cosmo DiNardo is his name. Um, he belongs to a very wealthy family that has already paid his cash bond. Um, so, what? you know, he, and, you know, so that's Shut fun. Up. Um, they hired, the lawyer that they hired worked on the defense case for, um, Bill Cosby. So that's good as well. Um, but basically, what happened was is there was these four missing boys um well boys, they were like late teens, early twenties, um by early twenties, I mean like the oldest one was twenty two so they're not very old um they were they were missing it was you know they were were I don't know for how long they thought that homicide might have been a possibility, but basically um their searches led them to this DiNardo guy. Um, and when they searched the property, they found um, a common grave on his mm. parents' property in the yard. Um, <sighs> and they didn't really... And, like, the family has a farm, so, like, they're not really sure how many bodies are there. Like, <sighs> it's... As far as they can tell, it's all boys between the ages of, like, 19 and, like, 22. Um, all the victims were Caucasian. Um, as far as I could tell, um, some of them were of Italian descent, which DiNardo is as well. So we don't know if that's like an MO with, you know, his victim choosing, there was evidence that he attempted to burn the bodies before burying them. Um, so far, there's really no evidence of like trophy taking at this point as, you know, is similar with many other
0: serial killers. But
1: if you live in Bucks County or near Bucks County, Pennsylvania, um,
0: it's awful. I know it. where that
1: is. Yeah, that's a, that's the a thing that's happening is this kid. Um, he's like, he's pretty young. I think he's like 20. He's only like 20 himself or so.
0: Wow. Um, did they convert how many bodies have been found?
1: They didn't release okay. it. Uh, they didn't want to release it because I think they weren't even sure. Um, but. They did identify at least the four boys who were missing. Like they did release that they had found their bodies in this common grave. Um. they don't know if there's more on the property how many more were in the grave what's happening there it's just scary because all the victims were basically of the same age, they were of the same ethnic makeup and this all, yeah this being a white male doing, perpetrating this, you know, rings serial killer um, yeah so apparently people, how
0: similar to Gacy too specifically yeah. like weird
1: yeah the yeah no it's Turns very it's very freaky and I wasn't really paying too much attention to it like I knew the boys were missing and that sort of thing and I wasn't really following it until my sister called me one day to be like serial killer and I was like oh,
0: <laughs> that's you just one. answered the phone and she went serial killer and, <laughs> and then hung up. up and I was like what and you're like what in, in the house out in the driveway what <laughs> in um, your
2: house <laughs>
0: Okay, what? What, what? Is this a warning? Or do you want me to cross yeah. the line? Um, Just the general idea of serial killers? Is there a, a PBS documentary? I don't know.
1: Yeah, like, the grave was... The, evidently, his family, what we what we came out was that they own a construction business. Uh, and the grave was uh, 12 oh. feet underground. Um, uh. So the possibility that his parents were somehow involved or, like, he somehow... Use construction equipment to hide his his spree is very. I mean, you can't dig a twelve foot grave by yourself. No. Um. So basically, I also
0: like to say, well, they live on a farm. They're yeah. Probably basically, all baby. they
1: said and all they've revealed as of um <laughs> that, July. That definitely...
0: No. Oh, I'm sorry. Go
1: well, on. as of July thirteenth, so it was like last week. All they've revealed so far is that there is a growing number of bodies on the farm, as far as they know.
0: um, it's totally makes me question the parents
1: yeah no immediately well when they said his parents hired a lawyer like basically the second he you know was getting arrested for this it basically was like everyone's like yeah the parents are fox um because I even asked my mom once too. I was like, if I like murdered someone, like what would you like protect me? And she was like, no, like <laughs> fucking like turn you into the police. And I was like, all right, cool. So it's like you know, I'm not even gonna say, all right, your your parents like, oh, it's their child. They have to protect their child. It's like no, your child's a sociopath who needs, if nothing else, you as a parent who needs help, mental um, help to make themselves a non-danger to society. Is my philosophy on that. Um, and I know it's tough. I've never been a parent, but you know, you need to understand that your child has ended the lives of several other people who were also children who had parents. So,
0: yeah, Yeah, I think the parental instinct to protect takes many different forms. Yeah. Yeah. I don't blame them for getting a lawyer, but.
1: Oh yeah. No, I mean, I get it. It's just like, you know, And they bailed him out of jail. I mean, why? Come on. Your son has a mass grave on your property, and you're going to bail him out of jail? Like, I don't know. But basically, people described him the way you would describe all serial killers. He was nice. He was very charitable. Evidently, he was, like, very big on donating to things and giving to poorer families. Um, But he was a bully at school um, to like, his fellow peers, um, and he had, he was, like, subject to a lot of, uh, like, incidents in school, um, with, like, temper tantrums and, like, mood swings and just kind of violent bullying, so, and he confessed, by the way, like, this isn't, like, he totally, like, straight up said he did it, but, um.
0: I wonder if he ever had a serious head injury as a child. yeah. Yeah. So many serial killers had serious head injuries as children. Well, that's,
1: like, the, the Phineas Gage thing.
0: Mm-hmm. The
1: way this like serious head injuries can just turn you into like a completely different person. Yeah. Um, my happier horror news is that you can look online to see Target's coming Halloween uh, items. Yeah. It's very exciting. Um, yeah. There's some great yeah. wine glasses. Ms. Mel shared that with me today. Yeah. There's some great some wine glasses.
0: There's good, other things, but like that was my stuff. big takeaway. Yeah. No, yeah. Um, so, yeah. The wine glasses are really cool.
1: But yeah, that's we had a we had a long horror news probably because we were MIA for like a week because I was literally dying well longer than a week it was a week to us to you it was like two weeks because uh, I was literally dying of uh, work work so this episode will likely go up right on the tail of our previous one which was our best adaptations um so it's like a twofer so lucky you a twofer a terrible twofer a terrible twofer. I drew a TM symbol with my finger, child. I drew a TM with my finger, child. Um, But yeah, so uh, Romero.
0: Yeah, let's uh, let's get on into the episode proper, sad as it may be. So George George A. Romero. The A stands for Andrew. Hat. I was hoping you'd say like something fake. right, has been affectionately known for some time now as the uh, godfather of the zombies and the father of the zombie film, meaning what we now consider the zombie film to be. He was born in February of 1940 in the Bronx in New York um, to immigrant parents his mother was from Cuba, or no? His father was his father. His was father was from Cuba, Cuba, and his mother was from Lithuania. And he grew up in New York, and then attended Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh for college. Pittsburgh then became his home, and um, he considered himself a Pittsburgh native. Thereon after, he graduated CMU in 1960 and started his career by uh, shooting short films and commercials. And his work eventually got him enough attention that he was able to film some segments for Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Another popular children's program, Shot Out of Pittsburgh, um, aired on PBS.
3: Um,
0: As he started to get more attention, he filmed his first production company with a group of friends, and through that company, he made his feature film debut with Night of the Living Dead. What a... Film to debut with, right? Right. Now put a pin in that, <laughs> Miss Mel. Get your. Get I your pin out. I okay. forget it already. What? What did? What was his? Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> how was How was Laura Dern involved in all of this? How is Laura? Was Laura Dern there? Was she one of the zombies? So, obviously, Romero is most well known for his Living Dead series. However. He a... contributed to the horror genre in several other ways, with several other films, uh, including such movies as The Crazies, mm-hmm. and Creep Show, and Martin, and The Dark Half, and Bruiser. And he even um, uh, executive produced for a very long time uh, Tales from the Dark Side. Yeah. So just going to take a quick look, I think, at some of those other films that are not zombie related before we get into the bulk of his legacy if you will legacy legacy what? legacy what is a legacy yes yes correct <laughs> yes let's start with uh the crazies yes i was to you you, that. you had an awesome reaction to that miss mel do you want to tell us a little bit about the crazies um, yes. So
1: basically, the crazy. It's interesting because, like, it's not a zombie movie, but it. it's also, co- it's still, like, he's big on apocalyptic type things, um, mm-hmm. which is what The Crazies is, um, and The Crazies remake, which he actually was a writer on. Um, he did yeah. not do anything. And that actually was not the worst film in the world. I don't hate the remake. It was not the worst remake in the world. yeah. Um,
0: probably because he was involved, but. You
1: know. but basically um it's about like a military like a bio weapon
0: mm-hmm. um
1: and basically after this disaster um there are these these people they the aforementioned crazies crazies um basically the 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 authorities are like told to shoot on site because they're like kind of like um sort of like twenty eight days later, zombies, where it's just like not so type deal rabies ish, but um it takes place in Evan City, Pennsylvania. I don't know where that is, I assume it's near Pittsburgh. yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> um uh David is our dude, um he's a firefighter, and basically, what I love about this is that it it totally is just like. First of all, the poster is like insane. It's a great poster. It's a scary poster. It's better than the 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 two thousand and ten poster, which is okay with the 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 pitchfork and the on the floor. Like this oh, is like yeah. such. People a... People 19- really
0: love the poster for the remake.
1: But this is such a nineteen seventies poster. Like it's, oh, it's so, so great. It's expensive. such bad primitive like Photoshop technology. I love it. Um, when you got
0: like the. In the when they're wearing like their creepy the gas masks,
1: yeah, like, yeah, and the white hazmat suits, yeah, the white hazmat Um, but yeah, so this interestingly enough, this film was not one of his. The original is not one of his better received films. Um, um critically, yeah, no, uh, for you sure, know, whatever. Um, it's now a cult classic, as usually um, these non-critical remakes go, but um. Basically, it's a post-apocalyptic survival movie. And um, the thing I like about it is that it's just, like, with Romero. It's, like, his movies, a lot of them deal with survival in different things. Like, zombies don't really figure in this. There are these, like, crazy people in this, like, biologic weapon. But it's not zombies as you would know them. And it's, it's like, basically the forerunner to, like, The Walking Dead. Um, obviously, 28 Days Later and all these things where it's, like this just kind of like existential like post-apocalyptic movie um it's like the road on steroids i guess kind of with Mm, interesting it's like kind of like which is funny because like the road came out way after the book yeah the road but it's like basically like that kind of mentality of isolationism and um group mentality yes um and that sort of thing um i just really really love all of that
0: (laughs) absolutely
1: yeah um and absolutely. it's and it's and it's nice because yes it's not one of his zombie movies it's not one of his larger legacy but it's very thematically in tune with all of his zombie movies and kind of like this common string between all of them which is you know survival and the way humans react to each other in these situations of of survival and the possibility of any sort of you know personal or larger scale apocalypse which you obviously see a lot of in night of the living dead mhm uh-huh. Um, I don't know if I have much to say about the remake.
0: Besides that, it wasn't bad. (laughs) It's not bad. It's entertaining. I think it keeps the message and the tone that he goes for in the original, whilst updating it.
1: Yeah, they you know not losing. They name some things that they didn't name in the original. Yeah, they like expand the mythos of it. I suppose.
0: When I think of the original, I. I always think of um, the crazy sort of editing that went on Mm -hmm. in the movie, because what a lot of people don't know about Romero is that for his his early movies, probably up through the 70s, he did the editing on them as well. And so the editing in The Crazies is a perfect example of Romero editing because it's very fast and it's very overwhelming. And um, there's a great montage in The Crazies where it's just faces of different characters and it's just switching from like rage to fear to horror to bewilderment, and it's very rough, but it's a it's also sort of very composed in this style and you can tell he knows what he's doing and it's ordered it's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that basically the message of the crazies is look how over the heads and sloppy the government is, yeah. And how much of a clusterfuck they can create in situations of turmoil. Just the entire idea of, like, shoot on sight is
1: insane to think about in in a Mm -hmm. lot of respects. In this respect, you see through this sort of metaphor how just completely disorganized um, these (laughs) establishments are in these
0: situations. It's like you said. Um, the, the shoot-on-sight thing is, is one of the most effective tools in the movie. Like our heroes are killing crazies, but they're also killing people and yeah. soldiers, people who aren't infected. And the concern... Somebody sets themselves a fire at one point. Yeah. It's rough. And so there's this sense of a concern that the people that you have to be worried about aren't the others, but it's your allies.
1: Which is interesting because the tagline for the remake was Fear Thy Neighbor. hmm Which is like, yes, obviously, like, Fear Thy Neighbor. They might be a crazy, but also, like, literally, you can't trust shit in, in situations like this. Like, it's... Like, these post-apocalyptic... Not even that. Just any sort of crisis situation where you have an organization, a gathering of people and an authority establishment responds. Like, that is kind of the idea if you break it down piece by piece by piece. It's totally. not just epidemic. It's literally people, crisis, authority
0: do not mix well. No, 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 no. And what And what comes of that and what gets created from that brings us all to a point, a, a tipping point yeah. of total chaos. Um, I think it's so interesting that when so many people think of Romero and the zombie films, they talk about how the Night of the Living Dead series, oh, well, the basic message is that, you know, modernity has made us brain dead. And okay, I don't think that's <laughs> what he's saying really at all. With first Night of Living all. Best, or, his, or his films in general. Watch the, them to the crazies. First
1: of all, that's not, watch the fucking credits of Night of the Living Dead and tell me oh, yeah. that's the main point of this film.
2: hmm <laughs>
1: Like, Okay
0: make that argument after seeing that
1: and tell I me don't what think that, that
0: looks like. I don't think that's what he's trying to say. I don't think that's what he's trying to say with the crazies. I think yeah. if anything, the crazy says that modernity doesn't make us brain dead. It makes us crazy. near schizophrenic and paranoid. And crazy, one might say <laughs> in our current era of mass shootings and the sort of spectral threat of ISIS, I think, that makes this a very interesting it's movie. Paranoia. Yeah, it's paranoia.
1: Yeah, it's paranoia and distrust. And I cannot fucking stand the cliche of people either using zombies or, like, categorizing zombie films as a commentary on modern whatever. It worked in Shaun of the Dead. Like, it worked so well in that satire in terms of how they were trying to portray 90s, like, late 90s, early 2000s life by use of these very comic zombies. Um, but when somebody walks up to me and it's like, oh yeah, it's a zombie movie, but like it's really about how, you know, like we're all just brain dead. It's like, shut the fuck up. Like we know we've it's too simple of a reading. Yeah, like, no. Like if that's all we're getting out of zombies at this point, then zombies are over. Like that's that trend needs to 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 lie low for a bit until somebody sort of reinvents the meaning behind it because I am so sick of hearing that.
2: There's
0: more there. There's 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 more. Yeah, and
1: I can promise that. you, Night of the Living Dead is about a lot of things. That's not it. <laughs>
0: um. Yeah. So the crazies. The crazies. The crazies. Yeah. Watch what the crazies about, and see what zombie uh, films
1: are really about.
0: It's very good. Uh, let's take a look at Martin real quick next. Martin. 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 So Martin was. Uh, An amazing film, beautiful film, almost perfect. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: Martin was Romero's take to demythologize the vampire.
1: You know how much I love vampires. I know. (laughs) Have you seen Martin? I've seen bits of it. I saw some of it in a a film class at school. I haven't seen the whole thing.
0: We watched the whole thing in my horror film class. Yeah, that class I didn't get into because he
1: never responded to my email asking for the access code.
0: That one. You would have watched Martin.
2: Oh,
0: that's nice. And uh, so we follow Martin. He's he's our sort of typical boy next door in Braddock, Pennsylvania. Braddock is near Pittsburgh. Shocker. Shocker. And Martin is a very disturbed young man. He lives with his extended family. And he spends his nights going out uh, basically finding and attacking women with a syringe full of narcotics after which he will slit their wrists with a razor so he can drink their blood. And the whole movie is sort of this romantic monochrome visions that Martin has of these vampire seductions and, and being chased by these torch carrying mobs but it's impossible to tell how seriously Martin is taking these visions or what they're supposed to mean to him, to us as the audience. It's really sort of a a lot more complicated than an initial first viewing would suggest. So do you remember any scenes that you've seen from it? Anything that stuck out? Um...
1: We did watch at least one of the blood drinking scenes.
3: Mm, okay.
1: Which
0: is not specific. Um, um, it's a, it, This movie, when I saw it, because I had not seen it before that that class in college. Um, I think and we watched movie, the market scene, too. Oh, okay, that's a good one. Yeah. This yes. movie wrecked me. <laughs> this <laughs> ruined everything for me. It is so goddamn brutal. It is like getting punched in the gut, but in a perfect way. <laughs> All right. So I clearly should watch more than the blood drinking and the market scene. <laughs> yeah, because this is totally undiscovered part of Romero's filmography, right? Yeah, he and never really
1: chased vampires after. That. No,
0: he didn't, and and I wish that he would have. Um, the ending is really sort of nihilistic. But I you love look, when
1: things are nihilistic. You know me.
0: <laughs> yeah, but if you look back, the movie itself might not be um, the opening. There's a it has great book. The opening is very, very, and this word does not often come to mind, but it, but it definitely does for this. Or this word, I think, is actually comes to mind too much for people. It gets overused. But the opening to Martin is very repugnant.
1: Okay. I had a couple um, words in my mind that I thought you were going to say that wasn't one of them, so good job.
0: Yeah, and it <laughs> casts this awesome shadow over the rest of the movie, sort of about, well, about lots of things, really. Evil, evil waiting within, um, the idea of the awkward loner. He's living in Braddock, which is this dying coal town. If you know your history of Pittsburgh, there's a lot of symbolism that Romero uses in setting the story in Braddock
1: um see just hearing about this stuff it's like my thing with vampires is it's like it's so annoying at this point right it's like it's kind of like zombies where it's like at a point where it's like it's thinned out everyone's kind of doing their own version of the same thing and they aren't really saying anything new they're like you know since the 90s it's been the 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 existential depressive romantic byronic hero vampire right as opposed to the traditional villain so, like, I just, I, with this, it's, like, it's nice because it's, like, a little bit of a fresher look at it, right? Because I feel like we're in such a state right now where it's, like, we're so close to getting at, like, a really profound sort of reinvention of that genre. But nobody knows what to do. And it's, like, Romero probably did.
0: He probably did. If he had so, if he had gone farther with that, I think he could have nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. And I, wa- I want to see that one day. But it's like, I don't want to see anything else until that happens.
1: Yeah. You like, know we... things that, like, the the remake of Let the Right One In, very excellent. Came very close. Um, a Girl Walks Alone at Night, very good. Very good. But it's like, we're not. Oh, that not...
0: director has a new movie, by the <gasps> way.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Um, but we're I just, can't. we're not quite there yet. And this is like a really, you know, this could be, this
0: could have been it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And, and Martin is so not the typical. Vampire, I'm saying that with air quotes, but you guys can't see me because the movie because refuses to admit to you if he actually is a vampire or if he just thinks that he is um, because he's he can be savagely violent, like ungodly violent in what he does in this movie, but he's incredibly meek and mm-hmm. almost weak He's confused. He's antisocial.
1: So it's basically, no matter what he, you know, if he is or isn't, it's basically a serial killer complex going on. Like he has the, yeah, very the, much the makings so. of a serial killer.
0: Yes. And that comes up. It's sort of this, Romero uses it as also this, he turns it into a social case, basically. Mm-hmm. A dangerous young white man with no friends who is completely hopeless for the prospects of how his life is going to turn out. And that turns him into this unstoppable Threat to society. Thanks. Uh, there's also this strange but wonderful sequence that comes about like halfway through the movie that um, makes a comments about home invasions, and <sighs> and Romero does a great job of commenting on the very legitimate and sort of believable panic that I think most of us would experience in such a scenario. That, panic room. Yes, unlike <laughs> I think films tend to portray yeah. home invasions. So
1: Yeah, no, I mean, we've all laid awake at night and heard a creak and been like, this is it. This is, they... <laughs> yeah, I had a good run. Um, no, I'm very interested to actually watch more of this and see those two yeah. fucking scenes in context. Um, yeah. I do love my vampires.
0: Yeah, you do. Yeah, it's not a
1: fetish, guys.
0: <laughs> it's not a fetish. Martin does not sparkle.
1: That wouldn't even, if it was a fetish, it would not be
0: that. I will tell you that. <laughs> if even is a, a vampire. I See, that's so I interesting that you bring
1: that. that up, though, because I recently, um, I do once a month, like, five articles for the Occult Museum, and one of the ones I had to do mm, yeah. was, um, crimes that were, like, it was, like, nine crimes that, um, there's more, but specifically this was a list of nine crimes that were, um, <laughs> uh, committed out of the influence of of horror films and one of them was a man who had watched um interview with a vampire um had decided he that interested him and he he you know wanted to know if he would could become a vampire so she survived but he basically stabbed his girlfriend several times and then drank her blood um yes i've heard of and um, she convinced him to stop what he was doing by saying that if she died he would go to jail and she called the police and basically once he was in prison he was like you know i you know he was like yes like i wanted to be a vampire now i don't think i want to be the movie influenced me but i'm not going to play like it was very he, he very much took um responsibility for his actions he was like the movie influenced me but i'm not gonna blame the movie but that's like there's a whole string of and especially if you have netflix if you have netflix um on netflix which you all have um there is a series called um occult crimes which deals with a lot of similar oh, yeah. crimes where people you know it's like a whole it's a whole subculture and it's a thing you know vampire the masquerade was big in the late 90s in the early 2000s and were causing people to do some pretty fucking heinous things because they they identified with this sort of Prince Lestat, this buffy ideal of the vampire outsider. And like you've got these very disturbed, let's face it, white children. These teenagers who are going through, you know, whatever social complexes they're going through and they kind of identify with this idea we set up in the 90s of... um, This is obviously pre-90s, but this idea we set up in the 90s of the loner existential vampire whose, you know, weight of immortality is on their shoulders, right? And it makes these people feel important um, by doing it because they feel like there's a purpose to their loneliness and that sort of thing. So it's an entire... And it's interesting because this movie came out in 1978, and this didn't start these rash of of uh, crimes based on these, you know, Lestat, Buffy, all this stuff um, didn't start happening until the 90s and early 2000s. So
0: it's, again, well, you know, Ramirez ahead of the curve. He was. And I think it's interesting that you're talking about this. Because I think he was vampires. paying attention to the one exception to that rule. Mm-hmm. Um, when you wrote that art, did you come across anything about Richard Chase?
1: No, it was specifically about a guy in London I was oh, okay.
0: I was doing. So Richard Chase, a lot of people think, was the inspiration for Romero to make Martin. He was a serial killer known as the Vampire of Sacramento. Same. And he... He Same. And he drank the blood of his victims and then would cannibalize their remains. Mm -hmm. And he was, uh, you know, he he grew up abused and, you know, was an arsonist and was cruel to animals and suffered a serious head injury and was a hypochondriac, very, very much just this white loner sort of archetype. Yeah. And his crimes were committed in 1977 and 78. He was captured in the very beginning of 78 and martin came out at the end of that year so a lot of people think romero yeah. saw something here he's like this is something we need to talk about yeah and why the vampire myth is is doing this to people in our society and it's not and something so we did.
1: That, that that is talked about right like you know you can look up and see dozens of cases where these people either severely injured or murdered someone for the sake of of a sacrifice to become a vampire in some manner. And it's like, it's not talked about. Like people don't really like, it's not really something people, you know, people don't bring up any sort of occult crimes, right? Like it's never really brought to the forefront of your mind or the news or that sort of thing. Um, and I think,
0: Oh, sorry. No, go for it. I was just going to say, I think that sort of backlash, I think is because like when everything happened with the satanic panic in the eighties. And then we kind of reached that point where everyone collectively was like, oh, none of these high-profile cases that were getting so much attention in the satanic panic were real. Yeah, like There were no satanic cults. There were no human baby sacrifices. Yeah, it's usually just one person who... I feel like there was just kind of a lot of embarrassment that the media got swept away in going so far down that road, so now nobody wants to talk about any crimes that have a connection to the occult because... It's like, oh, well, it didn't really happen before. But. And that's the thing, too,
1: right, is, like, cult crimes or claiming that some sort of cult or or belief, whatever it is, caused something is, for the most part, conjecture. Um, yeah. Even if somebody claims, oh, yeah, I worship the devil, it's like people don't want to report on that because it's, you know, it's, it's weird movie stuff, right? Like, if somebody says, oh, like, Joe Schmo here confessed to the crimes and said he did it to sacrifice them to the devil. They won't say that. They'll say, Joe Schmo here killed three people. Um, but they won't, you know, which is fine. You know, report however you want. Report the report the facts, question mark. Um, but I think it's interesting that people don't talk about it and the fact that a lot of these things do happen for blatant sort of occult reasons where people have these delusions that they will become a vampire or they're appeasing some, you know, higher demon or something. Um, because at the end of the day, it's the same thing as a serial killer. It's a loner, um, usually white teenager, often male who, you know, wants to find a purpose and an importance in the fact that they're such an outcast, right? Cause it's like, there's this arrogance to it where it's like, you know, I, I am important. I've been chosen for something, you know, and, Maybe or just this. desperation. Yeah.
0: To feel yeah. that you matter.
1: That's the, and that's yeah. it. Like you know that that you know to figure out where you know if you belong somewhere maybe it's in this fake um subculture or this subculture yeah. that wants to believe it it, it 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 exists for something real.
0: Everybody um, wants <clears throat> to be special. And yeah. when you feel like you're not that can take you down some very dark yeah. paths. Obviously there are many other influences involved in Not a,
1: I always say to myself whenever I think like, oh shit, why'd this shit happen? And like, not that I plan on going out and drinking anybody's blood, but you know, my methodology is that not everybody at every point in the day gets to be the main character in a story. Um, And that's my thing when people are always like, oh, why would this happen to me? It must be happening for a reason. You're assuming that a lot of variables in life happened so you can have this one thing, right? So... If anyone out there is ever feeling, you know, whatever, just remember that, you know, sometimes we, we're all main characters in our own stories, but that doesn't mean we're main characters in, in everybody's story. So, sometimes, you know, you just have to let the movies be the movies.
0: Yeah. Which is another thing that gets brought up in Martin. He's really obsessed with vampire movies, and... But yeah. But anyway, Martin. I could go on and on. We could do a whole episode about it. I love I it. We should watch it first before we do that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um let's really quickly touch on Creep Show. show. I was gonna say Creepshow. It's
1: like the yeah. other one I feel like we should do.
0: Yeah, Creep Show. Creep Show was oh, Romero's
3: geez.
0: Yeah, nineteen eighty two uh, um anthology horror series that was written by Stephen King.
2: Hell
0: to Gosh, Romero what and King
2: together—what
0: what a fucking amazing combination! Um, a lot of people think it's uneven. Um, well,
1: that I love me some Stephen King, that's, but you know that, that checks yeah, it's out. tough.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's tough with anthologies, even the the ones that are that are lauded. Um, yeah, because you're like, always like Black want. Sabbath. Yeah. Like, one of them is going to be weaker than the others. I mean, they can't all.
1: And in this case, there's four, no, five, four, five? Four. Five.
0: Uh, five. 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 Yeah. All of them written by Stephen King, uh, who actually stars in one of them, the second one. And it's, it's pretty goofy. It's a very fun movie. Um, it doesn't take itself all that seriously. It's just sort of these two. Horror icons coming together on the creative front. You had Tom Savini coming along to do visual effects, just sort of here and there, and it's a good time. the The short that people probably most remember from this one is the uh, um, I can't remember the name of it, but it's the one with the cockroaches. Uh, Um, There's a very wealthy businessman. Is it something
1: you? Something to, something to tide over. No, that's the third one. Remember. I
0: can't remember. It would help if I knew what order. No, it's um the the they creeping the up very, on you. They're I think it's the last on one. Oh yeah, they're creeping up on you. It is, the, is last the last one. one. <laughs> yeah, and oh god, he is this um, what do you call it? The germaphobe, mm. and he lives in this like. White, pristine, new age, hermetically sealed penthouse apartment. You know, the no germs, dreams. no dust, nothing can get in. Yeah, right? <laughs> but then... I
1: want to be able to afford lunch tomorrow.
0: That's that's my <laughs> dream. That's my dream. Um, yeah, that's the best one.
1: Yeah. No, bugs yeah. freak me out, for sure. Not yeah. as much then, as body horror, as we've discussed, but... <laughs> Cronenberg. Cronenberg it's like Dinkelberg, but Cronenberg when he's like Dinkelberg. that's you
0: <laughs> Berg. Cronenberg. yeah I mean when I think of Creepshow I always think of the cockroach short and yeah. how yeah, it makes me feel
1: mm-hmm. I one time when I was working in Disney World which for those of you who don't know Disney World after dark is like cockroach motel it's cool. humid it's dark they love it um and one day um a cockroach it turned out was crawling up my dress like on the outside thank god i would have like cut my leg off i was on the outside of my dress and i freaked out i screamed for like the near the guy who was nearest to me who shall remember my name nameless uh, to protect his identity in this situation Ooh. Um, Ooh. no his name was John i screamed oh. for John and um I was like, John, and he was like, what? And I was like, there's a cockroach on me, and he came over, and he swatted it off, and then he was like, I thought someone was attacking you, and I was like, I didn't know. (laughs) They were. I was like, go back to your position, it's fine, everything's fine. He was like, I seriously thought you were being attacked by a guest. (laughs) So, that was me and versus the cockroach, versus
0: John, versus Versus the the cockroaches Versus the volcano.
1: Versus the volcano there was a volcano there's a volcano in Disney World. Yeah. Um no, I actually it's interesting because well, first of all, the super psychedelic sim- cinematography in some of this. Like just the very like eye popping um yes. production on it. Yeah. It's something.
0: It is something.
1: Um but apart I from mentioning that and the fact that might hurt your eyes in some situations um i like anthology series a lot more than i think most people do um normally i think whether it's a book or a film or tv series when you say to someone oh it's an anthology series they get kind of like eh about it because it's like who wants to sit around and read a collection of short stories or that or the other but it's like i just love the idea specifically of horror anthologies maybe it's because like i like twilight zone um yeah, obviously now Black Mirror is like the newer Twilight Zone-esque thing, so I love yeah, that too. Yeah, I think too.
0: people are getting back into it because of Black Mirror. Yeah. Yeah, and everyone's like, oh, right, Twilight Zone did this first. And I was like, yes. Twilight Zone and Tales from the Crypt. Tales from the, Tales the Crypt. from the Dark Side. When you were... when Outer
1: Limits. the uh, Well, Outer Limits, yes, Outer Limits. It was more like sci-fi, but Outer Limits for sure. Um, when we were wee little ones, um... Uh, Are you afraid of the dark? The like oh yeah. Are you afraid
0: of the dark? Anthology
1: series with the greatest frame story with the Midnight Society coming together to tell stories. Um, Mm -hmm. Goosebumps is basically kind of an anthology series of books, and now well, it was a TV like a made-for-TV series because I remember watching um, Stay Out of the Basement and being fucking terrified. That one and the Werewolf Skin.
0: Yes. Um and Welcome to Dead House. Welcome to Dead House. Yeah. Ooh, um, yeah, yeah I, I, there's some really strong horror anthologies Tales out from there. The Crypt. Did we mention that? Tales Creep from the Crypt. Show, Black Sabbath from the sixties. Um what's the other one I'm thinking of? Tales from the Crips Well, Tales from the Crypts. Oh well. Of course, there are some bad ones too. Yeah. Uh, the VHS ones are hit and miss. <laughs> Theater Bazaar is not good. ABCs of Death is not good.
1: Oh my god, I have yet to watch that, even though Netflix wants me to.
0: Yeah, don't. Okay. And uh, there's there's occasionally some strong ones, but you, you're you have twenty six shorts in each one. Like it's mostly crap.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. That's I think the nice thing about Creepshow, too, is, like, yes, it's a little bit unbalanced, but it still keeps the numbers small. Yeah. Like, that's part of the thing is, is like, because everyone always has, like, you know, they're with Black Mirror. They're like, I like this episode and this episode. That being said, Black Mirror also knows to keep it to, like, three or four episodes a season mm-hmm. and then call it a day. Yeah, Because at that point it's just you're going to have the majority of them are going to be mediocre or shit episodes and like two or three And they're not going to stick stars. with you.
0: yeah, And remember you. Yeah. You're not going to remember them. Sorry. If they remember you that's a problem. That
1: yeah. could make a Black Mirror episode. <laughs> <laughs> Which what's her face from Black Mirror uh, is the new Doctor. Um, yeah. The chick <laughs> from the oh. episode Story of but Your she's Life. She's also
3: on
0: season three of Broadchurch. She is. Good for her. Yeah. making the rounds in British television. That's right. Well, there's only 60 British actors, so. So,
1: if she wasn't in Harry Potter or Game of Thrones, she had to have been in Doctor Who. Mm-hmm.
0: That's right. That's the rule. That's the rule. Um, yeah, yeah. So, Creepshow, um the only other two I would briefly mention would be The Dark Half. Okay. Um, another Stephen King adaptation, adaptation that Romero did that is very uh cerebral and um a 1973 film he did that has three different titles for Season some of reason. The Witch. Season of the Witch. Not, sometimes to be known as... <laughs> Not to be confused with Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Um, even though they came out around the same time. Uh, yeah, Season of the Witch, which is sometimes known as Hungry Wives or Jack's Wife. It's legit porn. Yeah, pretty much. And, um, but it's, it's, it's very distinctive in its sort of visual style. It's um one of the earliest sort of uh noia horror films, that suburban paranoia that Romero was one of the pioneers of. Um it's a tough movie to talk about. It
1: features my other favorite besides the vampires, witches. Yeah, there's
0: some witches. Um or are there? Or are there? There is, is true. The line where they say there is no magic. Um
2: I it's, it's, it's like, kill it's like Martin, no,
0: there's non-answers
2: hmm.
0: um, to what's going on. But there is a lot of sex. There's all the nightmares that don't really make sense to you or to the characters. Um, it's a, uh, it's more a movie about like feeling. I think.
1: Well, there's like some it's home so invasion. There's uh, some home invasion stuff in there too, which.
0: Norwegian goes stuff. to
1: the suburbanoya
0: theme, I suppose. Yeah. The opening is very sort of Evil Dead before Evil Dead with like the forests and the malicious branches. That's how and, I always feel when I'm like, it's kinda like this thing that came out five years later. <laughs> right. And the decor looks like the decor and Phantasm, even though Phantasm was also later. And um Yeah, it's a it's a very fantastical sort of movie. Um, but it's thoughtful, more or less. Mm-hmm. So so those, um, I think, are his most influential movies outside of the zombie movies. Why don't we take a quick break, We put in some music, and then come back to talk about the Living Dead series. All right. Shall, shall we? Shall. All right. BRB. Oh, That would be magic. What a good song. (laughs) So, Mel, um, listen to me. Okay. George Romero is the godfather of the zombies. You know, no one's ever told me that before. Well, uh, let me tell you something (laughs) a zombie is an animated or a reanimated corpse. (laughs) On. <laughs> yes, so I shall. Now, our conception of the zombie, at least as it pertains to film, has evolved over the decades, mm-hmm. and changing shape and changing meaning depending on the current culture, okay. <laughs> the current pop culture, and the national mood, as you, as you would say. You know, as Ryan Murphy would say. Oh good God. Now, originally zombies were creatures that were brought to animation by some sort of black magic or witchcraft. You know, the word
1: I hear, Professor Craig, that the word zombie comes from the sort of voodoo tradition. You do? Tell me about it. Okay. Um well, essentially that at least, you know, There's things all over the world, right? Like, yes, there's zombies elsewhere. Um, But the American concept of the reanimated corpse brought to life by black magic, the word zombie comes from the sort of, um, to to use the term as best as I can, the sort of hoodoo tradition, um, which is different than voodoo. Um, although it sometimes gets used interchangeably with voodoo. It basically, to my knowledge, voodoo um, is kind of like the black magic version of voodoo um, that uses more um, sacrificial type things and that sort of thing. Um, zombies come, like the word zombie itself comes from that tradition where basically these sort of priests and priestesses of this magic Slash religion would raise the dead, reanimate corpse. What we would know is like kind of in the European tradition as a necromancer, or like the mm. Lovecraftian tradition as the you know use of the necromicon to to raise the dead using their salts as a um, as an avatar and all these sort of things. But the word zombie comes from um, southern Haitian um, superstition.
0: Yes. The more you know. Yes, it does. Oh, I mean, yes. Yeah, yeah, no, know. Yeah. Fascinating. Fast. Yes. Now, what I like about this conception of the zombie is that when these kinds of stories were told, we had basically two monsters, right? Yes. You had the reanimated dead. Dead. And you had the necromancer yes. who was controlling them, yes. which made for very, very interesting movies. So these early zombie movies, things like White Zombie in uh, 1931 and I Walked with a Zombie in 1943, sort of came at the tail end of the universal classic monsters era. Okay. And they didn't get as much attention because of that, because the late 40s and the post-World War II era moved into that sort of comical slapstick horror comedy Previous horror was too dark. People had just been through a world war. Nobody wanted to to see horror big and bright on their screens anymore. So the zombies didn't get too, too much attention in this conception at the time. Now, flash forward, Ms. Mel. Yes. Remember that pin from before? Yes. Well, take that pin out. Oh, I was hoping you'd say that. Take it, throw it, get rid of it. It's gone. Okay, good. It's out the window. Now, that pin, if you'll recall, listeners, was holding in George Romero's uh, feature film debut, Night of the Living Dead, which, you'll be happy to know, completely altered the characteristics of the zombie as we know it. As of this movie, which uh, was made and released in 1968, zombie now became a slavering, decaying ghoul, which is actually the word that Romero used to describe them in Night of the Living Dead. He didn't call them zombies. Whose only conscious or unconscious desire is to eat and consume human flesh. Same. Same. So yeah, it's basically college students on a Friday night. Yeah, no. They're doing it right now. They're doing it right now. Spoiler it's Friday night. Right. From this movie, we also get the now-common... rule of the zombie, that uh, the infection, whatever is causing these creatures to rise, to remain in the ground, uh, is spread by being bitten or scratched, and that these creatures are more dangerous in numbers than on their own, and that the only way to destroy them is to immolate them or do the classical brain bullet.
1: So you guys didn't see I did the
0: I did the thing. Did you do the thing? I did, you did the thing. Excellent. Um Miss Mel. Yes. What tell me about the plot. So this chick <laughs> and her
1: brother um are visiting a cemetery outside Pittsburgh. Um I believe it's the cemetery of their their parents. Yeah. Um they're going to visit them on their, you know, yearly pilgrimage and in the midst of this this visiting which her brother first of all is an asshole um oh yeah just side note um they get attacked by this um ghoulish zombie creature it attacks they're coming to get you um it's you know it's like what the fuck so the hop in the car um take off find this abandoned farmhouse where they kind of stock up and like you know, hold in the woman's freaking out. Um, and basically they're going to like board their shit up. They don't know what's going on. They gain some, some new, her brother gets bitten at one point. He becomes one of the, the zombies. Um, they gain some new people. Um, Dwayne Jones plays this guy, Ben, who is like, even though we don't see him at the beginning of the film with the annoying chick and her brother, um he's kind of really our main hero and character throughout it i would say um barbara barbara Barbara. yeah barbara barbara is the sister Mm -hmm. um he and barbara kind of are in this house together they don't really get along they can they They gain more stragglers who like, you know, decide to come into the house and they basically board up the windows and make a safe house. And they're trying to figure out what to do. They make Molotov cocktails at one point because, again, immolation. Um, Eventually, it doesn't work. Um, They, you know, the zombies get in. They they get bitten. Um, Our good friend Ben actually survives this ordeal, his fight with the zombies. Um, only to basically be attacked and killed. reminiscent of a lynching, um, which people have argued is the larger theme of this film, and you know, how you've got this guy, Ben, who in the 60s, a black man is basically our main character, our survivor through the end of all of it, who ends up getting shot by a bunch of white hicks with guns, um, Mm -hmm. who are basically, you know, at any given point in the day, looking for an excuse to, to shoot anyone, especially a black person. Um so people you know have argued that's a larger part in the film is that the, the theme is not necessarily oh we're turning to zombies because of modernity it was the 60s okay modernity hadn't quite matured yet um even if they thought so with their nuclear weapons but um yeah i mean it's that's how i've always been taught to read it is that you know it's a commentary on social interaction and at this point in time in american history that social interaction was racism And it was institutionalized racism. And it's literally like if you saw Get Out, if that ended the way you thought it was going to end, when the cop car pulls up. Um, And it's just such a punch in the gut because Bender gets through so much and then
0: he gets shot. And he's he's the most intelligent one. Yeah. He's literally calming down Barbara constantly. through Through his cleverness. Because Barbara- basically, when everybody else in the situation dies, it's because of a, a stupid mistake.
1: Yeah, the family that's in the, the cellar, the dad, mm-hmm. and is it, it's the dad and his family down there, like, like yeah, idiots. Yeah, the Carl Hardman character. Yes, and yeah. Barbara is hysterical the entire movie. Like, she does mm-hmm. not calm down ever once. Um, yep. And, you know, Ben is like, you guys, stop everything that you think you're doing and you know he he you know and he's the realist he's like there's no one there's no help coming the air force knows the army knows it's not happening like we have to fend for ourselves and he's like give me the gun there's a scene where he slaps um barbara because she's so hysterical and it was like like, it's like such a thing in cinema to have in the 1960s a black man you know
0: slapping a white slapping
1: a white woman on screen but you're just like it was such a, such a, um, like, such a risk, such a controversy yeah. and such a risk, but in the terms of the narrative of the story, it made so much sense.
0: And so much of this movie was controversial, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, think about, remember the burnt truck scene? Yes. When they light the truck on fire as a distraction, and there's the, the two teenagers that are dead inside, and then the ghouls, the zombies, they descend, mm-hmm. and they start feasting. On the two bodies inside, and they're pulling out their organs and eating yeah, them. Yeah, you see it
3: Yeah, on you screen.
0: can you can see like the sausage link looking yes. um, intestines. Intestines, and so many critics were up in arms. They were like, "This is not fun, scary anymore. This is disturbing, yeah. scary." And Romero, when he kind of talked about the movie, and when he since talked about the movie. Which interestingly enough, he does not talk, he had not talked about it that much. Um, It was sort of one of those, I said what I needed to say Mm -hmm. in the 96 minutes of the movie, and that's that. But he said that, you know, Night of the Living Dead was meant to symbolize a turnover in the American social order. And he sort of left that up to our interpretation one of the popular ones being what Miss Mel so beautifully talked about, the question of race relations in America in the late 60s, uh, of course, Ben being the one to survive, being a black man, but who is then shot by a redneck posse at the climax of the movie who either can't or won't distinguish between a black man and a zombie. Uh, One of the other readings of the film that a lot of people bring up is a commentary on Vietnam. Yeah, I've seen that too. at its height at that time. You know, the movie is filmed in black and white. It has this sort of newsreel visualization to it. That was how the war was being told on the nightly news at that time. Um, The images that Romero uses are, are very parallel to to that sort of narrative as well. What
1: passed for, for gore in that time period as well, in the film Absolutely, the, the intestine scene.
0: Absolutely, so there was definitely turnover, there was definitely social tension and change, and all of these things, and, and the gore that's shown on screen, and, and the, the message of the films, whatever those messages might be, very much made Night of the Living Dead the turning point between sort of old gothic horror, right? Where we're in castles and 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 there's a shit. sort of yeah and shit <laughs> and everything is either in Eastern Europe or is threatening us from Eastern Europe. A switch from that to the more modern aesthetic of the sixties and the early seventies. That's where um, uh, suburbanoia horror begins. The suburbia horror. The switch now to graphic and realistic violence over the romanticism of those strange monster movies and creature features of the forties and fifties. So, yeah. So that was night, uh, night of the living dead was followed, uh, in the series by dawn of the dead released 10 years later in 1978. Dawn of the Dead continued the controversy. It had more gore than had ever been featured. I hope they say that about me one day. She continued the controversy. She con- nevertheless, Romero persisted. <laughs> Romero persisted. Um. <laughs> yes. So there was more gore in Dawn of the Dead than had ever been seen in a uh, major... Um, what am I saying? Film. feature film. Feature, <laughs> film feature horror film before. Uh, but the gore wasn't wasn't just for schlock or for shock value. It was contextualized, right? Mm-hmm. So in Dawn of the Dead, we follow this group of survivors that barricade themselves in a mall. Actually, the Monroeville Witch. Mall, Monroeville, Pennsylvania, Witch. which was right down the street from. Is New- that not the right
1: apocalyptic dream, though, to like barricade yourself in a mall?
0: To barricade it is now because of Dawn of the Dead. It is, and in the remake, and in the remake, yep. And over time, our survivors come to feel ownership of that mall and the stores and all of the possessions inside that mall. So as you could probably guess, the common reading of the movie is Romero's comment on American consumerism, because at this point, 78 was right in the middle of, if you know your American history, what's called the crisis of confidence during the 1970s for many Americans where there was this big question of is the American quest to own things destroying our culture by distracting us from the issues that matter. So that was Dawn of the Dead. And um, that was a great remake. Um,
1: Yeah, the remake wasn't bad. Um, It was definitely a much different, more kind of, I don't want to say shallow because that sounds negative, but it wasn't as deep in the reading because it was more, it was less about the items in the mall and, um, the stores themselves and about, like, just sort of like the human versus human turf wars of the area because they basically get into this fight with, um, the mall security guards, who have like claimed the mall as their place, and then this group of survivors comes in and they're like, yes. no, it ain't big enough for the both of us. Um, and the mall security guards take them prisoner for a while, and then this group of survivors turns on them and imprisons them, and they're just kind of chilling for a while, like it's actually not bad. Like, they're drinking stuff at Starbucks, they're eating some food, they're hanging out in like the furniture store, like it's chill um, so there's no really greater commentary in the remake that I can pick up on besides just human interaction in, um, you know, a post-apocalyptic world.
0: Yeah. 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 Um, so Dawn of the Dead, which is a much discussed, much written about, amazing film in its own right, often gets brought up in those... The sequel is never better than the original mm-hmm. debates. Uh, was followed by the third entry, Day of the Dead. We've now got all the time periods you can have in a 24-hour span. In a 24-hour thing. In 1985, Day of the Dead focused on the military and the scientific community in the midst of a you know, a zombie apocalypse. The, we take, we, the whole story takes place in an underground bunker where a scientist named Dr. Logan is training a captive zombie named Bub to see if he can sort of condition the undead to behave in the way that a docile, domesticated animal would. But this angers our military folks who are just sort of shoot, 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 bang, bang, bang in their rhetoric. I'm like the crazies. So... Eventually things come to a head, Dr. Logan is murdered. And at the climax of Day of the Dead, Bub is released from his shackles and picks up a gun and avenges the death of his caretaker. And so it's very much read as Romero trying to comment that one social order is being replaced, one piece at a time. So it might be slow. But it's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, Day of the Dead was. Not super well received when it came out. But. It's pretty beloved now. Very much put on par with this first. Sort of chunk of the Living Dead series. Night and Dawn and Day. Being. Most people comment on them being the strongest entries. And that what day of the dead does or that what Romero is doing with day of the dead is showing us that it's not about the literal zombies, but the figurative ones, these characters that are refusing to change, even though the world is changing around them.
1: See, that's the thing. It's like, there's so many reading on the word zombies and this sort of mindless attitude where it's not so much like you know, you know, nowadays they'd say, oh my God, it's millennials with their heads in their phones. It's like, no, calm down. That's not it. It's the fact that, you know, people aren't thinking, right? So that's like the real, the real, um, kicker in all this is just, you know, when somebody stops thinking, Mm -hmm. no matter what that means for any generation, you know, in the, in Dawn of the Living Dead, it was racism or no, Night of the Living Dead, it was racism. And, Social order based on um, inherent institutionalized bigotry, and um, you know, in um, *Dawn of the Living Dead*, it was not thinking because capitalism, basically. Um, and in this, it's you know, it's it's refusing to change, refusing to to progress. Like I think, at the end of the day, like if you want to make a catch-all. Um, metaphor about zombies it's not so much like oh yeah like we're just zombies in like life and like we just don't care anymore like it's not lack of emotion or lack of like presence in a situation because you're tweeting something or or or, or what have you it's just that you know you're not you've you've stopped reasoning um and stopped reasoning in a social context you know i think that's a huge thing with zombies is that they're a hive group they move together as a unit but in what movie are zombies ever communicating with each other are they ever interacting with each other they just happen to exist in the same place and are are, have the Mm -hmm. same goal of i want to eat that um whereas the humans you know they don't communicate they get eaten they have a breakdown of communication they have a breakdown of of their own sort of social order in their little knit groups they get eaten. And I think if you want to make a blanket statement about zombies that's it is just not being present in thought with mm. yourself with the environment and with each other.
0: Yeah. Who's good? yeah. The zombies. I fully agree. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. So there was a large gap after Day of the Dead for a while the, the you know, the Living Dead Trilogy. It was a trilogy. Uh, 20 years later, Romero came back with the fourth entry, Land of the Dead. You know. In 2005. be confused with The Land Before Time. Ugh, a horror movie in a very
1: different sense. It hurt. But I should have known there were dinosaurs. There was no way it could end happy.
0: There was no way. God. Now, Land of the Dead... Like an overeager high school football player. Oh, you were thinking tackled. about that one for a while. <laughs> I did, I know. So I just wanted to say tackled like that. Yeah. Tackled. Tackled. The post-9-11 landscape of America. The story centers around this palatial skyscraper and the surrounding decrepit city block in a zombie dystopia where the wealthy live inside the tower, which is ruled over by a tyrannical despot who sends out minions to raid from the city block and bring back needed resources that he bribes or that he takes bribes for, um, to give to the wealthy. The very opening of the movie features this attack, by the tower's mercen- mercenaries on um, Zombie Town, USA. And this has very much been read as a metaphor for America getting involved in the Middle East during 2003 to 2005 when this movie was made, having all the context it could have, right? Mm-hmm. So America was attacked, responded by attacking another that was not directly responsible for what happened to it. And the for, there were foreign resources that, resources there that were coveted. And this attack had eventually had devastating consequences, much like the tower who the people that live in the tower have to live this way because of the zombie apocalypse. So they go out and attack this community of of zombies, who at this point are these sort of semi-sentient creatures. We see them working at a gas station, and they're not, they have not done anything to the people in the tower, but they are attacked anyway, they're forced into a conflict, and at the very end of the movie, the zombies storm the high rise and destroy this conception of paradise. For the survivors. So, very interesting. Very political obviously.
3: Interesting.
0: Um, yeah. If you've not seen Land of the Dead. It's very underrated. Um, because personally. Some people think it's the weakest. I like it. I think the weakest is Diary of the Dead. Which was. <laughs> the uh, found footage entry. In 2007. Um. It has no style. It does nothing interesting. It's just, it was a total Romero misfire, and unless you have anything to say about it, I I got nothing.
1: No, um, does that come have before? Have you seen it? it was off. Not. I mean, it was on once in a room that I was somewhat tr- transient in. <laughs> somewhat there was it before or after Survival of the
0: Dead? Before Survival is the last one. Okay. Yeah. Which we can talk about now, because I don't care about Diary of the Dead. (laughs) They journaled. So Survival of the Dead was the final entry that Romero was able to complete. It came out in 2009. And it follows a group of National Guard soldiers that get tricked, basically, into coming to this island to get played out like chess pieces in this feud between these two despots, basically, again. <laughs> so one of them... Really? Is we favor- could find another word besides fantastic? Nope. Fantastic, fantastic despots. <laughs> Who, one of them wants to domesticate the zombies, much like Dr. Logan in Day of the Dead, and the other one's just like, destroy them. Bullet brain. Mm-hmm. As always. Now, the common reading of Survival of the Dead is that Romero was making a parallel to um, the war in Iraq that uh, because O'Flynn, who is this exile living on the island, who is in favor of domesticating the zombies, promises uh, resources and rewards from a faraway land.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: through the military if they will overthrow the tyrant there. And a lot of people have drawn connections to when, um, in 2003, Ahmed Chalabi, who was exiled from Iraq, came to America and offered false information um, connecting Saddam Hussein to Al-Qaeda in an attempt to convince the American military to... Invade the tyrant there, yeah, in um, promise of reward, aka oil. So basically, he said jump, and the military said how high. And that's essentially the premise of the story here. Um, survival is much better than Diary of the Dead. Obviously, it's not found footage. Again, like like, <laughs> uh, like was that. I don't know why he did that.
1: You know, um, it was. It was, in it. <laughs> it was the 2000s. It was the 2000s. I do like this sort of evolution um, across all of this if you try to look at it cohesively because it's like you start out the story and it's focused on the people, right? The survivors. Mm-hmm. And it gets to the point where it's like not so much what do the survivors and their interactions represent, what does, you know, the human reaction to the to the zombie represent and kind of taking it as... Um, you know, a metaphor for for a group that's basically feared, um, even if it doesn't pose a super immediate threat. Because the thing is, is slow zombies, as Romero has them, what's you know colloquially known as the slow zombie, like isn't on its own like a super. You know, it's not like twenty eight days later where, you know, you're right. getting chased by a, you know, freaking uh, Usain Bolt down the streets of London, as a right. zombie. Um, and it, there's your movie there's your movie could you imagine we'd all be dead um, yeah but you know and it's interesting the way that like I like and that's something that never really caught on too right it was like the idea of taking a zombie like and turning it into this, this greater metaphor this thing that you sort of pity because it's like it's been done with everything else it's been done with vampires it's been done with werewolves you know, everyone's kind of taken the classic movie monster and dirted it into this is a metaphor for this. Like people aren't really doing that with zombies. They're like, you know, the focus as I as I enjoy it, but the focus is always on, you know, how do people react to each other and to this thing. Not necessarily it's like, you know, what does this thing represent? What does how you react to it say about you? Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that evolution, like across all these films, where it kind of becomes less about the people and the way they interact with each other and more about how they respond to this this threat that may not even really be, like, a threat, but they need something to blame.
0: Yeah. that's a, Yeah, that's an excellent reading of sort of the whole, the series as a whole, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I, I'm glad that survival... I, I'm not glad that he's gone, but I think survival is a really strong capper for the living dead series Mm
2: -hmm.
0: because it's it says so much that is still relevant now right Mm -hmm. um there's so much western imagery that he uses in survival of the dead um they wear the cowboy hats the the feud between o'flynn and the other guy can't remember his name um is very much like hatfield and mccoy-ish the zombies are kept in corrals and it's sort of this connection to that early 2000s mantra of like go get 'em we're going to be cowboys again and and we forget that in the height of the cowboy out in the you know the old west people were murdering each other over the pettiest of things and i think Romero's pointing out we're still doing that now mm-hmm. And we're still using this weird Western imagery to justify it. Um, When they talked about the hunt for Osama bin Laden, he was wanted dead or alive, like as if he was on a wanted poster in an old saloon. They talked about smoking him out. Um,
1: I mean, that's like a larger issue too, but it's like you're saying that about someone who's not even a citizen of your own country, right? Yeah. How many borders did we have to cross to, to, to bounty hunt him
0: essentially? Right. And, and it's, and it's just this whole, and the people who are suffering are the people who are not putting us into these situations, right? Like in the movie, Sarge and his, his people, his men, they're, they're just, they're good people trying to make sense of the situation that they've been manipulated into by these other more powerful forces And I think it's very much Romero being like, the world is falling apart, but we're not doing anything about it because somewhere there are old white men hating each other Mm -hmm. so much that they're not letting us get any, you know, they're not letting us get any real work done. Um, He, there was a really, there's a really interesting, it has its. Flaws. There's a really interesting documentary that came out the same year called Nightmares in Red, White and Blue, which looks at the American horror f- film as a political vehicle. And Romero is in it. And he says, basically, like, what's it going to take for us to start working together on these larger issues and stop hating the other? You know, like, we need to deal with the big picture here. I thought that was really really interesting comparing that quote
2: to, yeah. to this. I
1: agree. You can't say but Craig took a sip of wine.
0: I took a huge sip of wine. So it's
1: more like a gulp.
2: Yeah.
0: Listen.
1: It's nighttime. <laughs> okay. Um Yes, so, in looking at zombies, you know, it's a lot more than, like, how gory can you make the kills on The Walking Dead, right? And everyone tries to tell me, because I never really got into The Walking Dead, but people try to tell me, like, oh, it's so good, it's, like, now it's about, like, kind of, like, how people interact with each other, and it's, like, Game of Thrones, like, post-apocalyptic, and blah blah blah, and it's, like, that's fine, but, you know, I... I'm not here. I was never a huge fan of zombies. Like I was never a huge fan of that aesthetic. But Romero's movies about zombies and about people in a post-apocalyptic setting, a dystopian setting, was like something I was very here for. Because in terms of what I've taken in, Romero's the only person who who put thought into a zombie movie and wasn't a zombie about making zombie movies.
0: Um, I think there are other creators out there who are making interesting, mm-hmm. who have made interesting thoughtful zombie movies. I mean, we mentioned 28 Days Later. Yeah. Um, I, Shaun of the Dead. Well, Zombieland. Yeah,
1: still, um Yeah, no. Shaun of the Dead, I like. You know, that was a total satire on a lot of things. Um, that's a good zombie movie. 28 Days Later, I like not necessarily for any commentary it makes, because I don't really think it makes one. It's just a very visually well done survival movie survival horror movie um that's my take on it i could be wrong people could tell me i'm wrong that's fine Well, um,
0: it's a movie no one is wrong it's just yeah. how they interpret it yeah.
1: you know someone on the internet is gonna say well
0: i i mean i think it does i think 28 days later it does yeah um but that's a different conversation but no i mean we've very much been in the decade of the zombie right yeah. sort of that has sort of mostly from 2001 to 2010 but it's but it's definitely extended I mean the popularity of the walking dead I I still watch and I have gone through love and hate relationships with it um, but I think it's interesting that we've been so culturally obsessed with the zombie so much in this decade given the current political climate I feel like it's very mirrored to what was going on in the 60s and early 70s this conception of the zombie it's the
1: same paranoia right it was in the 60s and 70s and in late 50s it was the communists the fear of you know that sort of witch hunt turning people in um, and that sort of thing you know a lot of people have said the way the United States reacted to 9-11 with the Islamophobia was reminiscent of McCarthyism and this sort of fear of communism and some of the legislation that went through um, was very unconstitutional and biased against people of the Islamic faith, you know, so it makes sense that we would return to this sort of um, metaphor for the way people were reacting to, to this thing. And because they, you know, history was repeating itself. So art in that sense was also repeating itself or being, you know, people were saying, hey, remember this,
0: it's, mm-hmm. it's back. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And yeah, <laughs> and yeah, and yeah. Um, the only other thing I can really think of to say is there's this awesome interview that Romero did after Survival was released, um, sort of at the end of the second zombie decade, right? And Someone asked him if he thought, or were his movies, his Living Dead series, meant to portray what he thinks life will look like in a post-apocalyptic world. I can guess what he's going to say, and he <laughs> says, "We're already living in one." Yes. Okay. Um, That's what I thought. <laughs> and he and he, he pointed out 9/11. He pointed out Hurricane Katrina. He pointed yeah. out the um, the recession, and he said, "Look, our tower fell, our cities drowned." Our currency has lost all value. There are soldiers in the street. What kind of movie do you really think you're in?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's a whole broader thing I could talk about where it's like, what is, what is apocalypse? What does it take to make people, you know, it's like, what is the change of status quo? Include there is
0: an apocalypse (laughs) of sorts. What? What? I got news for you about it. It's already here. But look what happened to the cook. <laughs> uh, I bet he was a big
1: fan of that movie. Uh, it used to be on Netflix, and it's not anymore.
0: Well, you have to get it on DVD, like me. I
1: know. I need to, so I can watch all three endings. That's right.
0: Um, so that's Romero. I obviously his his career and his legacy is is very long lasting. He's inspired many, many. Filmmakers um, in horror. Edgar Wright is a huge fan. He wrote a very moving tribute for Entertainment Weekly. Um, I, I, you know, I feel personally connected to him because of his connection to Pittsburgh and the area, and I've seen a lot of locations that he's used in his filmmaking. Um, so he's going to be missed and along with West Craven it's kind of like another one of those greats yeah. is gone and we feel i feel like we're in a, a state of the world when we when we need them most but yeah we'll have to make do yeah.
1: we'll make our own zombie movies yeah like in uh
0: super 8 it's so literally yeah. what they
1: do is make their own zombie movies <laughs> it's adorable um yeah I um like I said I'm not a huge fan of the zombie genre but Romero does make me appreciate what it is capable of um you know it proves me wrong in my my hipsterness of rebelling against this thing that was super popular that I just honestly I just never got it it wasn't even that I was like I'm not gonna do this cause it's zombies it's like You know, literally it just, it it wasn't for me. It wasn't my, my aesthetic, but you know, I can appreciate the social commentary that people inject into these films. So I am for it.
0: Totally. Totally. And hopefully we've showed that his career was not just zombies. Yes. And that he said some very interesting things with, um, his other films and his other creative work. And he wasn't just a one trick pony, um, even if the bulk of his legacy comes from the Living Dead series.
1: Which, you know, that was his first film. What a way to kick it off.
0: Yes. Pretty cool. And he will be missed. Yep, yep, yep. So, Miss um, Mel, hmm. what's, what do we have coming up? What's um, oh, coming we, to a theater near you?
1: Well, we were talking about doing a... Now it's like way past halfway, but eventually doing a Twin Peaks kind of check in. Oh, episode. that's right.
0: Oh shit! I should probably do that soon. <sighs> oh, How great is Twin Peaks, though, guys? Great, it's rocking and rolling.
1: It is new episode this week, as with every week, unless it's Fourth of July. Um, yeah, and I don't think they, I don't, they didn't have a panel as of now, as of the recording of this. They didn't have a panel yet at, at Comic Con. They do have a panel. They did an interview
0: today, though, with, I want to say time, but I'm not sure. Panel or no panel, Lynch is not going to release any footage. Absolutely not. <laughs>
1: um, the panel will literally just be them up there sitting, like, in silence, and, like, you're kind of, like, there's that guy who coughs in the background because it's, like, awkward and nobody knows right. what to do.
0: That has, like, the strobe lights from the Black Lodge that come on.
1: Yeah. There's, like, a cat that runs by. No one knows whose cat it is. Um, but, yeah, Twin Peaks, guys. Yeah, Both poor. of them.
0: Both Peaks. Both Peaks. Um, yes. What, was what else do we have? Both have? Peaks. Oh, do we have not? We don't. Do we no, have that, was it. That, that was thing? it. That's, that's it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Gosh. Was, well, then shut me up. Uh, <laughs> um, so be on the lookout for that. Our Twin Peaks... Slightly more than halfway recap. Oh, God, that'll be a long episode. This has turned into a long episode. But, yes. um, but, you know, a master of the genre has, it warrants it, has crossed to the other side. So it's, it's worthy of it. Um, hopefully our two back-to-back episodes will go down easy for you guys. We'll get that Twin Peaks episode to you guys soon. And you guys can get in touch with us.
1: Oh, yes. That's my job. Um, there are just
0: social media outlets.
1: Uh, emails at splatterchatter669 at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at splatterchatter666 minus all the vowels. If that's too much for you to think about, just search splatterchatter. We pop right up. Um, Tumblr is splatterchatter.tumblr.com. Instagram is splatterchatter666.tumblr dot nothing it's instagram splatterchatter666 six, six, six. nothing um, um and craig's blog is splatterchatter666.blogspot.com these are all the things these
0: are all the things and if you think about it we would love it if you could rate and review us over on itunes mm-hmm. and until we see you on the other side of the dirty 30 <laughs> um please keep up the creep And we will say au revoir,
2: adios, and daspadares.